Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Holly Near once said, If you have the guts to keep making mistakes, your wisdom and intelligence leap forward with huge momentum. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 900th and 94th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. That's right, and we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, Facebook, our chat board, and so forth and so on. Jonathan, let's get started. What are we talking about? Well, Rick, our question is, how do I handle it when I am wrong? And our theme text is found in Romans chapter 14, verse 5. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay, so that's the question. How do I handle it when I'm wrong? And, and you know what, Jonathan, everyone has had and will have the experience of being wrong, of making mistakes, of not understanding something well enough to properly represent it. Everyone has that experience. The question is not about what to do if these things happen. The question is, how do we handle it when these things happen? Making mistakes and being wrong are never comfortable experiences, but they are priceless in their value if we allow them to be. So, how do we allow them to be priceless? When we're wrong, do we face it or do we ignore it? When we make a mistake, do we fess up or do we try and bury it? And further, how can we identify the thought and behavior processes that bring us to wrong conclusions and actions so we can avoid repeating the same old mistakes over and over again? And Jonathan and folks, of those of you listening, it's always our objective with each subject that we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite. We try and find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. And don't forget, simply go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live for the live audio and chat room. Chat with fellow listeners around the world, and we may even include your comments on the air. All right, so Jonathan, let's get started with this whole thing about uh, how do I handle it when I'm wrong? And you notice it wasn't how do you handle it when you're wrong, it's how do I handle it when I'm wrong. Well, Rick, honesty is the best policy. It is. However, as we will see, honesty, while it's the best policy, has to be handled very, very specifically. So it's really not that simple an answer. 
So all right, <laughs> all right. So 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 let's begin to unfold this. And, and Jonathan, we're going to go be going be going to one specific source, Catherine Schultz. Uh, she wrote a book. She's given many, many talks on uh, about being wrong, and she really understands the subject matter. So we're going to start with a piece of a TED talk that she gave, and we're sort of nicknaming this this little soundbite. How do you feel? So this is Catherine Schultz from a TED talk about being wrong. So why do we get stuck in this feeling of being right? One reason actually has to do with the feeling of being wrong. So let me ask you guys something. Or actually, let me ask you guys something because you're right here. How does it feel emotionally? How does it feel to be wrong? Dreadful. Thumbs down. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. Okay, wonderful, great. Dreadful. Thumbs down. Embarrassing. Thank you. These are great answers. But they're answers to a different question. You guys are answering the question. How does it feel to realize you're wrong? <laughs> Realizing you're wrong can feel like all of that and a lot of other things, right? I mean, it can be devastating. It can be revelatory. It can actually be quite funny, like my stupid Chinese character mistake. But just being wrong doesn't feel like anything. See, now, that's an important place to start. The idea of just being wrong doesn't feel like anything because... When you're being wrong, if it hasn't been brought to your attention one way or another, you think you're right. That's true. So being wrong actually feels pretty good. Hmm. Because you think you're right. Right. Because <laughs> now having it under, uh, you know, unveiled and all that, that we'll, we're going to get to all of that. But here, here's the thing. The good news about making mistakes and being wrong is that there is usually a process to get there. There's a process that we go through to get to the point of being wrong. If we pay attention to the process, we can begin to identify those things which would make us right and those things which would make us wrong. So understanding the process of how you get there can help you kind of sort things out as you go. So we're going to suggest in today's podcast what we're going to call seven gates of right and wrong. Seven gates of right and wrong. Now each of these gates, if you can use the, the, the picture, has two entrances. One entrance leads to incomplete, immature, and for the sake of a Christian, worldly judgments. The other entrance leads to more mature, spiritual, and sanctified or set apart or godly judgment. So, Jonathan, each gate that we're going to talk about throughout this podcast, we're going to picture that gate having two entrances. You go through one of the entrances, you're, 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 you're going, going down a pathway that's probably not going to bring you to where you really ultimately want to get to. But what we're going to find out is it's going to bring you down the pathway that feels better, that's more convenient, that is just more readily accessible. Because being right in the world in which we live, I will say at the very beginning here, is not very readily accessible. So with all of that said, the first gate of right and wrong let's go through what gate number one what are the two entrances well rick the first is comfort uh, personal okay versus conscience godly so the first gate has to do with either personal comfort or a godly conscience two separate gates to go in, in, in into this particular part of our reasoning experience so the battle of being right or wrong often begins with a battle for personal 
comfort. And I want to pause there for a second because this is huge. If we can get our head around that so often what we look for is to be comfortable. Now, it, you, you know, we look for physical comfort. We look for mental comfort. We look for emotional comfort. We look for spiritual comfort. We look for intellectual comfort. We want to be comfortable. So that is a physical, natural desire. Being right and wrong can contradict, trying to be right can contradict that comfort. So we have to be careful of that. Are we looking for a comfortable answer that we can relax with? Or are we in tune with an inner compass that might drive us toward righteous but often uncomfortable actions? Where we live, Jonathan, the time we live in, being right oftentimes leads to some kind of discomfort. So we're going to be going to the context of that Roman scripture you, you read. Just read Romans 14.5, the theme scripture, one more time. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Okay. Each, oh, I'm sorry. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. All right. That's the, the verse that we're sort of basing our thinking on. So we're going to go to the context of that verse. We're going to kind of figure out what's said before, what's said after, so we can put it all in order and get the lesson. Because there's a huge, huge lesson here. So the Romans context that this particular verse comes from teaches us about two categories of Christian. Those who are weak in faith and those who are not weak in faith. And it's interesting because the Apostle Paul makes a very stark judgment right here at the beginning. He's saying, some of you guys are really weak. And nobody wants to be told that, incidentally. No way. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so with this stark judgment comes a huge lesson on understanding right and wrong. So let's start, we're going we're gonna to go through 23 verses of Romans 14, but it's going to take us the entire podcast to get there. So let's do Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 3 to start, and you know I'm going to stop you in the middle at least twice. <laughs> of course you are. Yes, I am. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. So there's two different kinds of people that are being discussed here. They're being described. He says one of them is weak in faith. Now he's saying one of them it doesn't have it all together. That's that's really he's being really honest here. Doesn't have it all together, um, and he, he's not able to eat all things. We're going to discuss this in the second segment as to what all of this means. But he's just differentiating those who don't have it all together versus those who really do know what the right answer is. Go ahead. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. So what he's saying in verse 3 is that, okay, there are there's a judgment being made on both sides. Each side looks at the other saying, what do you think you're doing? And the apostle is starting out by saying, you know, you can judge from where you sit, but neither of you should be doing that. And now he's going, he's going to begin to describe why. So let's go to verse 4. I said we were going to verse 3 first, but let's go to verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. There's a principle here that will 
echo throughout this whole conversation of how to figure out being right and wrong. And when you look across the aisle at someone, you know, and we are not political here, but boy, you know, this really, this really relates to politics because people in politics get so energized on their side versus the other side. And they're looking across the void in between with daggers in their eyes. And it's a great visual for us to draw a spiritual lesson. And the apostle says that each is going to stand before his own master. And that's a really important point for us to figure out and discuss as we go through. Let's and go Rick, I like the, the end of verse 3, for God has accepted him. Yeah. We're all different, and that's okay. So now that brings up a really important question. So are we saying that it's okay to be wrong and be told that you're wrong? Because it kind of sounds that way. And you think, boy, that's pretty wishy-washy, isn't it? We're not supposed to be standing for what's wrong, are we? But in someone's own mind, they think they're right in certain cases. But we're not supposed to be standing for what's wrong. So how do you make those things work together? That's what we have to get to. Let's go back to Catherine Schultz on Being Wrong, her TED Talk. And she's going to give an example that, especially if you're our age, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll know very well. Uh, you know, a Looney Tunes cartoon she's going to do a little bit of uh, analogy from. So, again, back to Catherine Schultz and the TED Talk on being wrong. I'll give you an analogy. You remember that Looney Tunes cartoon where there's this kind of pathetic coyote who's always chasing and never catching a roadrunner? In pretty much every episode of this cartoon, There's a moment where the coyote is chasing the roadrunner, and the roadrunner runs off a cliff. Which is fine, he's a bird, he can fly. But the thing is, the coyote runs off the cliff right after him. And what's funny, at least if you're, you know, six years old, is that the coyote's totally fine too, he just keeps running. Right up until the moment that he looks down and realizes that he's in midair. That's when he falls. When we're wrong about something, Not when we realize it, but before that. We're like that coyote, after he's gone off the cliff and before he looks down. You know, we're already wrong. We're already in trouble. But we feel like we're on solid ground. It does feel like something to be wrong. It feels like being right. So, and that's a great analogy because, you know, and, and, you know, she says, that's funny if you're six years old. I don't know. I'm 59 and I still think it's funny. So I don't know what that says about me, but no comments from you. Okay. All right. (laughs) But, But, you know, the idea of being way out there and feeling like everything's fine until it, it, it comes to your attention and then you know, literally your world kind of caves in. That's, that's the, the lesson of Wiley Coyote there. So, or the bottom drops out. Right, right, exactly. And, and so the idea is, you know, how do I identify and, and understand that whole process? And what about people who are wrong? Who, when we're right, how do you deal with those who are wrong that, you're, that you might be arguing against or standing up against? What, how do you manage all of that? What is your conscience tuned to? Remember, the gates that we were talking about, of the, the first of the seven gates of right and wrong are comfort, personal comfort versus godly conscience. So one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, what is your conscience looking towards? What's it tuned to? It is easy to find the lowest common ground to tune your conscience to. And that's not generally a good place to find the tuning of your conscience. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. But the Spirit explicitly says, 
that in latter times some will fall away from faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So, you know, this idea of seared in their own conscience, that's, that's pretty vivid picture language. It is, uh, Rick. It, it's like you're deadened. Your, your, your mind is deadened. Uh, there's no response. It's not caring. There's no feeling right. left because it's, it's been burnt out. Right, right. So, so, so the nerves are dead. You know, the, yes. the, the, the sensibility is, has been deadened. You know, it's harder. It's much harder to find the higher, less common standard of Christ to tune ourselves to. You can find the lowest common denominator anywhere you look around in the world today. But I will assure you that that will only bring you grief in the long run. It may feel good and may feel more comfortable right now, but not in the long run. First Peter 2, 18 to 19. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows, when suffering unjustly. So the idea is to have that higher level of, of, of principle to drive your conscience toward. And that's going to bring us to our first right and wrong red flag. There's going to be a lot of red flags that we're going to be waving around in this podcast. What's the first one, Jonathan? Well, Rick, living according to comfort can produce a faulty conscience have to keep it as a simple phrase, but we've got to keep that clearly in our minds. Living according to comfort can produce a faulty conscience. A great example of that is taking a specific side on an issue because you have the heavy hitters on that side. You're not really sure why you're on that side, but because those are certain people are there, it's like, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm following them. But Rick, um, that doesn't always mean that they're right. No, as a matter of fact, uh, they may be wrong more than you'd like to believe. <laughs> so <laughs> so here, here's the thing. Look, we're certainly starting with some uncomfortable steps as we realize that our conscience is not always right. They do make you think. Having a rightly tuned conscience is key. But if all of our being wrong because of conscience... We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together. So a pure conscience is key, but it's certainly not the only key in figuring out right and wrong in our lives. There are so many of us who have a good conscience, who really want what's right, who make the wrong decisions anyway. Why? Desire for God's way is only a foundation. Learning God's way is where our building truly begins. So it's great to, to, to say, yes, I want to do the right thing and to, and to have that, that strong desire, but that doesn't get you there. It's only the very, very, very beginning. So in this battle of trying to be right in, in, versus wrong in our daily lives, it takes so much more than just that. And that brings us to our second gate in the seven gates of right and wrong. What are the two uh, uh, entryways in the second gate, Jonathan? Well, Rick, cloudy vision versus clarity of vision. 
All right, so we need to define what all of that means. Cloudy vision, that's the wrong gate, versus clarity of vision, that's the right gate. So how do you go from cloudy to clear in your own perception of things? You know, are we unsure of the object at hand, of the objective at hand? That's the cloudy vision. Or do we have a clear picture of what we're involved in? That would be the clarity. It's hard to find clarity because in the world in which we live, it's filled with gray areas. Great quote here from Adam Osborne. People think computers will keep them from making mistakes. They're wrong. With computers, you make mistakes faster. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting because we use the technology so often to do the thinking for us. And so we accept a lot of, uh, a lot of premises and sometimes you've got to be really careful with what you're going to accept in those things. You know, Rick, there's going to be a lot of details coming up. And a good thing to do is to go to ChristianQuestions.com and sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. It's going to give you the graphics and illustrations, and it's going to list out all these details of how to handle it when you're wrong. So, the, And the idea, folks, really is to help us identify in ourselves how to be able to be on the right side of things, and then, in relation to ourselves, how to manage being on the right side of things. Because it's not enough to just be on the right side. You have to manage it with maturity. And then, how do you deal with those who may be on the wrong side? What do you do? Okay? So there's a lot of moving parts to this. Let's go back to Katherine Schultz uh, in her TED Talk on being wrong. And uh, this is a... Uh, a, a you know, it's a very poignant example that she's going to be bring up, bringing up here in this next um, soundbite, but it's a very sad example when you really listen to it. Listen up. Then we freak out at the possibility that we've gotten something wrong. Because according to this, getting something wrong means there's something wrong with us. So we just insist that we're right because it makes us feel smart and responsible and virtuous and safe. So let me tell you a story. A couple of years ago, a woman comes into Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center for a surgery. Beth Israel's in Boston. It's the teaching hospital for Harvard, one of the best hospitals in the country. So this woman comes in, and she's taken into the operating room. She's anesthetized. The surgeon does his thing, stitches her back up, sends her out to the recovery room. Everything seems to have gone fine. And she wakes up, and she looks down at herself, and she says, why is the wrong side of my body in bandages? Oh, man. Wow. Talk about being wrong, okay? There's a huge example of being wrong that has dire consequences. So, you know, there, that's something that we'll, we'll develop. We'll develop the story a little bit further as we go uh, with the, the sound bites from Katherine Schultz. But it just gives you a sense of the consequences of being wrong can be really, really, really dramatic. So let's get back to Romans chapter 14, okay? Paul lays out that those who are weak and therefore wrong on some issues, and, and he is talking about them in terms of they're wrong, are still acceptable to God. He, he said that. They're wrong, but they're still acceptable. And, you know, again, part of being a Christian is trying to be right so we can be acceptable to God, right? You want to be on the right side of things, not the wrong side. Absolutely. So this sounds like an inherent contradiction. So we got to figure this out. Why would God accept them if we know that they're wrong? Why would he do that 
because it makes no sense when you look at it on a on a surface level. So we've got to get there. Romans chapter 14, let's just go to verse 5 at this moment. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay, what does all of this mean? I mean, we're talking about some people eat meat and some people don't eat meat. Some people regard one day above another, another one doesn't. Who are they talking about, Jonathan? And why is there such a, a strange difficulty with what you eat or what day you consider to be special, if you will? Well, we could go to commentator Alfred and explain it. Go ahead. There is some doubt who the weak in faith were, of whom the apostle here treats, whether they were ascetics, which Rick means practicing self-strict uh, self-denial. Okay, so ascetics, and I just want to focus yeah. on that because that's a strange sure. word. We don't use it. So ascetics, those so strict self-denial. And there right. were, in those days, many uh, who were of the Jew Jewish descent who were in that camp that were very, very narrow in what they allowed themselves to do or be a part of or partake of. And they could be the ascetics or Judaizers. Some habits mentioned, as for example, the abstinence from all meats and from wine seemed to indicate the former, the ascetics. Whereas the observation of days and the use of such expressions as unclean plainly point to the latter, the Judaizers. Ascetics are, are different than that. Um, the difficulty may be solved by a proper combination of the two views. So really the Apostle Paul is looking at, remember, Christianity grew out of Judaism. It grew out of Jewishness. Jesus was Jewish, and Christianity was a, was a, a new level of, of existing following Jesus. So as Jesus sets up this new level, what happens is a lot of the rituals of the Jewish law no longer mattered. To Christians who were coming into Christianity that didn't have Jewish background, that was easy because there was nothing to unlearn in those areas. But to those who came from the Jewish background, that was a huge problem. Because, because these were the traditions and the laws that they were, were taught for generations and generations and generations. So especially for ascetic Jews who had accepted Christ, they were so used to being so self-disciplined that they wouldn't do this and they wouldn't do that and they wouldn't do this and they wouldn't do that. And then there were other Christian Jews who wanted to just bring the law along because it was more comfortable. These, both of these classes, Jonathan, when they came into Christianity, they were wrong in their perspective. They were wrong. There wasn't like, well, yeah, I could see it that way. They were wrong. And the apostle told us that they were wrong, okay? So when we talk about observing the day or not eating meat or, you know, not drinking wine or any of those things, this is what he's talking about. And he has already said that is an improper interpretation and understanding of Christianity. It's wrong. So what do you do with it? Well, let's go to verse 6 in Romans 14. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does it for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. So the apostle, apostle is really saying conscience is clear and directing and directed to honoring God on both sides. That's interesting. <laughs> so those who are wrong 
are are being wrong to the best of their ability <laughs> to try to honor God. So wow. <laughs> in their wrongness, they're they're working at honoring God, but they don't have clear knowledge. So whether cloudy or clear in terms of knowledge, here's the bottom line. Let's go to the next verse, verse 7. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So he's talking about both groups now. And he's saying... Both groups have the same clear objective in their own mind. They want to, they want to honor God and what they're doing. Some of them are doing it by, by adopting things and practicing things that are not appropriate in Christianity, but he's saying, but they want to honor God and we have to honor them because they want to honor God. So that's kind of an interesting perspective here. Um, we can be right in our wrongness. <laughs> okay. And we can be wrong in our rightness. Oh, my. <laughs> and that's why when you said at the very beginning, well, honesty is the best policy. Yes, it is. But we have to understand how to apply it, especially when dealing with others who see things differently. Now, we don't want, we're not suggesting that anybody with any conviction can just carry that conviction along in Christianity. That's not what is being said here. This is something very specific having to do with the Jewish law. Okay, and we'll, we'll unfold that further as we go. But uh, again, let's go to our next right and wrong red flag here, Jonathan. Living according to our obsessions and traditions does not necessarily translate into a clear and godly vision just because we want it to or because it seems like it should. All right, so just because we have an obsession or a tradition or a habit of thinking doesn't make it right. Just because it feels comfortable and it feels right doesn't make it right. And we have to be on the alert for that. Again, cloudy vision versus clarity of vision. Let's pause here. Let's go back to Katherine Schultz. This is a different talk. So she, another talk on the same subject that she gave at USI in France uh, on being wrong. And she's going to introduce an individual who has a really interesting story to, uh, that she's going to talk about. Very, very fascinating, fascinating individual. And since I myself am frankly not that inspiring, I thought I would introduce you to a couple of people, three people, who might be able to inspire you to rethink your relationship to being wrong. First one is this guy. This is Ed Wiesters. Ed is one of the world's greatest living mountaineers. He's climbed all 20 of the world's highest peaks without supplemental oxygen, which is basically insane. Uh, some of you might recognize him, actually, from the, at this point, kind of old IMAX movie about Everest, if any of you ever saw it. He was the star of that movie. He's been up Mount Everest eight times, also without supplemental oxygen. He doesn't just go up these mountains alone, right? He leads entire teams of people up and down them. So he is someone who has thought very hard about risk and error and managing both of them in incredibly dangerous, high-stakes situations, situations where literally lives, including his own, are on the line. All right, so we're going to come back to the story of Ed in, in Right and Wrong and some incredibly powerful lessons that he can impart. Uh, she actually interviews him, and she talks about that interview later on in the, uh, in the podcast. We'll get to that. So, Jonathan, let, let's pause for a minute because we're talking about, well, you know, these other individuals, they were wrong, they were wrong, they were wrong. Well, what if we're wrong? Okay, what if we're wrong? Jesus 
points in our next scripture uh, points out that, it, that we are naturally cloudy in our vision. We're naturally cloudy in our vision. Remember, that's the wrong gate to go through. We want clarity of vision, not cloudy vision, and we need to change. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5, and these are verses that are very commonly read, but you got to hear them and apply them to me, not me apply them to everybody else. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus is saying that when you go to make a judgment on your brother, you'd better stop short and take a look at yourself. And he's implying that the very idea of you going to make a judgment brings a faulty reasoning along with it. And he's saying, instead of looking at the speck in your brother's eye and say, look, you got something in your eye, you're messed up, what you see is not clear, he says, you should take the two by four, you should take the plank out of your own eye, because you think that he can't see, you're blind because you are overlooking your own faults. So that's an interesting warning, very huge, severe warning from Jesus about our approaching others and saying, well, boy, you know, Jonathan, I've been meaning to tell you, you are so very wrong in your approach. I just, you know, I don't know how else to tell it, Jonathan, but, you know, shape up or ship out, buddy. Hey, I know it. It's true. And uh, I'm working on it, brother. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. See, you're right and I'm wrong here. You understand that. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. That's exactly what he's saying is my condescension creates the wrongness that is, is, is more damaging in many, many cases. So going from cloudy to clarity requires a searing internal honesty. Okay, we talked about the searing of the conscience. We have to have that internal honesty that just strips everything else away. Feelings have to be shelved. If we want to be right and have the right attitude in the rightness, feelings must be shelved. And Jonathan, each segment now, that we're, each time we go to another one of these gates, we're going to ask the question, okay, how can we change? So give us a practical example of how we can change in this, in this particular cloudy versus clarity thing. Realize that God expects us to live up to his standards according to our best ability and not live down to what we think we know. Okay, live up to, live up to his standards, not live down to what I think I know. And the big issue, Jonathan, is when we think we know, we think we know. And then we're like Wiley Coyote standing out on nothing until it's pointed out. And we look down and like you said, the bottom falls out, you know, whoop, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) All right. So here's the thing. This, what we're looking at from the last segment in this, this segment, this is not a comfortable trend here. Uh, We shouldn't even rely on what we feel like we know. You are right. And for a good reason. Both conscience and clarity can be pointed in the right direction and still be wrong. What can we do about that? 
Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive. So conscience and clarity are two approaches to right and wrong that are very much come from the heart. While this is needed to really get our attention, following the path that is willing to correct our wrongs must add a firm decision, and that firm decision has to be based in real conviction, and that firm decision has to be based on firm truth, which finds its source in sound principles. And that's the key. No, I, let me take that back. That's one of the keys. There are a lot of keys in this discussion. One of the keys is strong conviction, but it's got to be based on sound principle. And we're gonna, those are actually going to be two of the next uh, gates that we, we, we discuss here. So firm decision based on sound principles. Got a great quote here from uh, Coach John Wooden. If you're not making mistakes then you're not doing anything. I'm positive that a doer makes mistakes. All right. I'm positive that a doer makes mistakes. And, and John Wooden, you know, was UCLA basketball coach long time ago, and he, he created a winning environment that will probably never be duplicated ever again. Uh, for several reasons. But when he talks about it, he's talking about making mistakes as that's a signal that you're doing things. That's a signal that you're working at things. So he's encouraging making mistakes because he's also encouraging the attitude with which to recognize and, and, and correct so you can actually do something, go somewhere with your life. He's very inspiring. Yes. And if you are looking for daily inspiration and hope, find us at CQ Bible Podcast on Facebook. CQ Bible Podcast on Instagram and CQ Bible Con Podcast on Twitter. Okay, so you've got CQ Bible Podcast. That's the key for getting you to communicate on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's right. Okay, well, what about YouTube? Well, that would be CQ Bible Podcast. So there's no difference then? No. <laughs> okay, so what is it? It's a CQ Bible Podcast. All right, social media used for good. Think about social media like you never have before. We'd love to hear from you folks and just in terms of your responses, whether you agree or not, we just, uh, we just like to have the conversations. Jonathan, let's go on to the third gate of the seven gates of right and wrong. What are the two entrances to that third gate? Convenience versus conviction. Now, convenience is the wrong gate. It's the comfortable gate. It's the easy gate. It's the gate we like, but it's not the right one. Conviction, rather, is the right one. And conviction all by itself isn't good enough. We just want to throw that in at this point. So do we look for the easy way out, convenience, or are we driven by a deeply convicted belief? Which is it? Let's go back to the story of Ed the Mountain Climber with Catherine Schultz uh, giving her uh, TED Talk at USI France on being wrong. And she is interviewing him about being wrong about making mistakes in the world of mountain climbing, where literally it is life and death. Let's listen. This is fascinating. I had the chance to interview Ed last year. And at some point in the course of the interview, I asked him to tell me about the worst mistake he'd ever made on a mountain. And Ed proceeded to tell me the most unbelievably 
boring story you can possibly imagine. Basically, it went like this. He says, "Well, this one time I was up on K2. K2 is the second highest mountain in the world. I'm up on K2, and the weather was getting kind of bad. And I thought, ah, you know, we should probably turn around. But we didn't turn around, and we kept going up. And the weather got worse. And I thought, Ed, man, you should really turn around." But we didn't turn around, and then we got to the top, and then we came back down. Yeah, that's the story. <laughs> She's right. Kind of boring. <laughs> like, boring. <laughs> you know, where's the big climax here? But stay with us because you have to understand what comes after that to get get the the, the message of that particular story. So we'll we'll get back to that um, soon. Uh, let's go back again to Romans chapter fourteen. And if you remember, we're looking at Romans chapter fourteen verses one through twenty three, going through the whole context because the Apostle Paul lays out very clearly a situation where there are those who are right and there are those who are wrong in a very specific circumstance. And he's telling both of them, essentially, that they need to grow up. And you think, well, wait a minute. If the right ones are right, what do they need to grow up for? So let, let's, you know, you understand it with the wrong ones. Like, you know, they can, you know, get your, get your head around this thing, will you please? But there's so much more to it than that simplistic approach. Back to Romans 14, with the issue now laid out, Paul begins to build a solid Christian solution to the volatile issue of who's right and who's wrong by appealing to their highest convictions. And again, that's the gates we're looking at, uh, convenience versus conviction. So Romans 14, verses 9 through 12. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Okay, so... He lays out their highest conviction. To this end, Christ died and lived again. All of you are answerable to that highest level of conviction. Next verse. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So in the first part of verse 10, why do you judge your brother? He's talking to those who are right, making a judgment on their brother, saying, oh, you guys are wrong, you better fix it. He's saying, why do you do that? And then he says to those who are wrong, saying, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Meaning you're looking at them doing things that you don't think are right and you're looking at them with contempt. He's saying, why do you do that? Because we all stand before the judgment seat of God. It's not the judgment seat of Jonathan. It's not the judgment seat of Rick. No, it's not. It's Thank goodness for that. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's the judgment seat of God. Verses 11 and 12. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God, so that each one of us will give an account of himself. To God. Okay, again, that's showing the highest conviction. So he is hammering out, this is your highest conviction. you got to stop looking at each other. You've got to see each other through godly perspective. So Rick, in the day of judgment, it would be better to say, I was honest as I could be. I did my best. Um, I admitted my mistakes and, and I tried to forgive others of theirs. Right. Because we're all going to have to come clean at some point. 
That's exactly. that's what the scriptures teach us. So you might as well get started right here, right now, because that way you get a head start. And and Jonathan, it comes down to real, true integrity, and it comes down to an attitude of humility and grace with integrity. It's not just about being right, but it's about being right in such a way that you can lift others up and appreciate others even if they are wrong. And again, if you look at politics in, in, in our world today, in our country today, there is very little appreciation that goes from one side to the other. And what right. a shame, because you're, you're, you're throwing, you're, you're, you're shooting darts and spears and arrows at each other, and there's no appreciation for the conviction that somebody on that other side might have. You, we won't even open the door to listen to it, because they're so wrong, they should be, they should be beaten down mercilessly. What and that influence is is teaching the rest of us right. the same concept, right. which which is just it's destruction. <laughs> and and you know and that's why these verses in Romans are so important. And even even for somebody who's not a Christian, the principles of what the apostle is saying are profound in dealing with being right or being wrong. So the folly of convenience, because remember the gate we're looking at is convenience versus conviction. The folly of convenience begins uh, uh, this next uh, text, but it ends with the solid action. Okay, I'm sorry, let me start to say that again. The folly of convenience is in the beginning of this next scripture, but the next scripture ends with solid action of conviction. So let's look at Ephesians 4, 14 to 15. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So, again, he's saying you're not supposed to be just carried about by what everybody says and everybody does and what seems to be the most popular thing. That's convenient. That's not going to get you to the right place. But the strength, you know, it's easy to be wrong when we just go along. And yeah, that, that's true. And that happens. And again, you can still be right. You can be right in principle, but still be wrong in attitude and be just as guilty as the one who was wrong in principle and, uh, and, 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 you know, struggling with that. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who was the head, even Christ. The profound power of that phrase speak the truth in love so okay if you're right how do you present it is being right a hammer a sledgehammer with which to crush your enemy or is it a hand up with which to help your your that person you disagree with it's all a matter of perspective if you have the grace of truth it's a wonderful thing we have to use it in the right way. So what's the right and wrong red flag here in terms of convenience versus conviction? Well, Rick, convenience never brings us to a level of being right in thought and action, for such a level is always inconvenient. Being right, especially in this world, is always inconvenient. And not just right in what you believe, but right in how you believe it and how you express it and how you use it in your life versus um, just, you know, standing for something and, and plowing people over with whatever it is that you think you stand for. Conviction, okay, the correct gate in this, in this, in this gate number three of the seven gates of right and wrong uh, brings us, conviction brings us to a whole new level of existence. In, in, um, 
one in which right breeds contentment. It doesn't breed victory. It doesn't breed pride. Right can actually breed contentment. Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So the apostle is talking about situations where he has been treated wrongly and he's been uh, you know, disadvantaged in all of those things. And in his attempt to do right, he had to suffer as a result of that. But he's saying, I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstances are because the road I'm on is a road of righteousness and grace. And I would rather be on that road in disarray than being on another road and be all happy and proud. And there's something very powerful about that as we look at this. So when we look at convenience versus conviction, the question now comes up again, how can we change? Realize that all of the most powerful Christian growth comes through conviction. The most powerful Christian growth comes through conviction. But this is not the end of the story. Conviction is really only the beginning of the story. So if you think, okay, I've got conviction, so I'm good. No, no, no. You've got conviction so you can get started. That's really what's happening here. Because the next set of gates is really, really has to come right attached to this set. What is the next gate, gate number four? Well, Rick, that's passion versus principle. And we're going to suggest that passion is the wrong gate and principle is the correct gate. And we're going to we'll get into that in a moment. Let's go back again, though, to Catherine Schultz, the TED Talk. Remember she was talking about the surgery where the woman's, the wrong leg was operated on? Yes. Yeah, that, I mean, talk about a, being wrong and with very grave consequences. Well, let's hear a little bit of the explanation behind that wrong decision. Well, the wrong side of her body is in bandages because the surgeon has performed a major operation on her left leg instead of her right one. When the vice president for healthcare quality at Beth Israel spoke about this incident, he said something very interesting. He said, for whatever reason, the surgeon simply felt that he was on the correct side of the patient. The point of this story is that trusting too much in the feeling of being on the correct side of anything can be very dangerous. I thought that was profound. That was a profound lesson to draw from that. Trusting too much in the feeling of being on the correct side, the passion of it versus the principle of what is right. And then you have to decide how to manage what is right in a right way, because in your rightness, you can have great wrongness. Let's not forget that. Well, Rick, emotion can really throw a monkey wrench in everything. Emotion can take something very right and turn it into utter disaster. Yes, absolutely. And that's what the apostle is addressing in Romans chapter 14. Uh, Before we get back to Romans 14, we're in the middle of Philippians chapter 4, so let's go go back there. Um, The passion versus principle gate is the battle between the deep emotion that we feel on an issue and the principle behind the issue. See, there's a battle between the passion of an issue and the principle behind it. And too often, 
it's easier to follow the emotion. It's easier to follow the passion. We often mistake our passion for principle. We often mistake our passion for principle, even if we're right. And that is one of the gravest errors that we can ever, ever make. And that's where being right becomes wrong. So in Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start out with principle. We're going to go back to passion, and then we're going to go back to principle. And I'll interrupt you just to set the, the, the stage. So Romans, uh, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, this is principle. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Okay, so there is the principle. Don't be looking to judge others, but know that you are shouldn't be trying put, putting things in, in your brother's way to make their life more difficult. He's saying, I'm convinced that there's nothing wrong with eating meat that was previously offered to idols or anything like that because it's just food. That's the principle. Here's where the passion comes in. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So now this passion is on the wrong side of the issue. That individual who says, oh no, I can't eat that because you know I've got this obsession with making sure I do everything according to the law, which you don't no longer have to do, that passion is bringing that person down the wrong road. But the apostle says, but it's okay. Let it be, because in his mind, he shouldn't do it. So if he shouldn't do it, don't tell him to do something that he is convicted that he shouldn't do. Uh, Let's go now to the passion that's on the correct side of the issue in verse 15. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. So if you, who know better... Are, are, are harassing him because you're trying to get him to be right through your harassment, the apostle is saying, you're wrong. You are just as wrong as he is. You are more wrong than he is. You're hurting him. Cut it out. And this ends with the principle. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Do not destroy with your understanding of the matter someone who doesn't get it the way you do. That's really what the Apostle is saying. So, Jonathan, this is a difficult trend, and this trend continues here. Um, We have always uh, been told to do things with passion. But now what? Good question. Let's take it even further. If passion can pollute our principles, does that mean we should throw all emotion out the window? As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side, time to go in reverse with a CQ Contradiction. Let me repeat, Jonathan. We do often mistake our passion for principle, even if we're right. Because passion is such a strong force for movement. We need to learn to apply it to being right, to being spirit-driven and mature in Christ. What this suggests is that as we go through spiritual growing pains, we monitor and manage our passion. Monitor and and manage your passion. See, too often we view passion as, well, just let it rip. That is not 
the way to continue to be right in an issue. And there's no quicker way to be wrong when you were right than to just let it rip. Because what you're doing is you're not considering the convictions of others. And from a Christian standpoint, that's just that is really not acceptable. Another great quote, this one from Tony Benn. Making mistakes is part of life. The only things I would feel ashamed of would be if I said things I hadn't believed in order to get on. Some politicians do do that. Some politicians do that? <laughs> Again, this is not a political program. But you, you, you see how you know I keep alluding to the world of politics because the principles that we're talking about are easy to identify in that world. Our challenge is to bring those principles from that world to our world, whatever that may be, and say, look, I can be just as guilty as those people with those shrill voices over there. I can be doing exactly the same thing if I don't guard myself and guard my passion because of the principle. So we want to continue with the passion versus principle uh, gate that we started in the last segment in the seven gates of right and wrong. This is the fourth gate. And again, passion we're suggesting is the wrong gate. Principle we're suggesting is the right gate. Um, let's go back to uh, Catherine Schultz. Um, in her story of uh, on being wrong in her TED talk, and uh, she's talking about some assumptions that we make when we see other people as being um, as being wrong. We make assumptions about them, and this is this is really really interesting. And then we're going to get back to um, the moral of the story of the um, of the uh, the surgeon, and then we're going to get back to the story of the mountain climber a little bit later. But this is the first of three assumptions that people make when they see others as wrong. Think for a moment about what it means to feel right. It means that you think that your beliefs just perfectly reflect reality. And when you feel that way, you've got a problem to solve, which is how are you going to explain all of those people who disagree with you? It turns out most of us explain those people the same way, by resorting to a series of unfortunate assumptions. The first thing we usually do when someone disagrees with us is we just assume they're ignorant. You know, they don't, they don't have access to the same information that we do, and when we generously share that information with them, they're going to see the light and come on over to our team. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, but see, here's the, the important thing is that's the natural assumption. Well, they must not know everything. They must not have all the details. They must not have the facts. They, they must have been duped. They're ignorant. They just don't know. And, and so hang on to that because we're going to get to the next, uh, the other assumptions a little bit later. And it helps us to understand when we make these assumptions what we're really doing. You know, and, and what it ends up we're doing is we're padding our own, our own perspective, not necessarily with truth, but with assumptions. Okay, so here again, this assumption of others' ignorance is important. Here's what we as Christians must grow into. Galatians 5, 16 to 17. Again, this is passion versus principle we're talking about. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So he's saying, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the influence and power of God, and don't carry out the desires, the passions of the flesh. In other words, your passion has to stay in check. Because if you let it go unbridled, all of us, no matter who we are, Jonathan, all of us are imperfect. 
and that unbridled passion is going to cause damage along the way. And in a lot of cases, it can cause untold damage, and we have to be really careful. If you are claiming to be a Christian, and you are allowing that to happen, you are polluting the name of Christ in a very big and unfortunate way. So what's the right and wrong red flag here when it comes to passion versus principle? Well, Rick, just because you might be right, it does not mean that your passion will appropriately communicate that right perspective. So it's great to be right. It's wonderful to be right. It's relief to be right. But just because you are doesn't mean that you're going to take that rightness and use it in a good way that can be positive. And you can take all of the goodness of that rightness and drain it away and have it become darkness because of the way we potentially handle it. That's the wrong gate to go through, according to that scripture, about not carrying out the desires of the flesh. Our passion needs to be filtered through the next words of Jesus, found in John 15, 12 to 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You know, the interesting thing about Jesus, well, there's a lot of interesting things about Jesus, but one of them is his ability to handle those who were in direct opposition to him. And, you know, his ministry was for three and a half years, and he had those detractors always around for those three and a half years. And they were the ones who held the positions of greatest authority in their society. And they would constantly come at him with what they saw as contradictions, as, 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 as going against the law. And what Jesus would do, he would answer them by asking them questions to apply the law. And they would always inevitably get stuck. He didn't beat them down with their wrongness. He showed them by asking the questions to help them try to consider, to, to, to be able to, to, to look at things in a little bit of a different way. So passion versus principle. The only time, Jonathan, Jesus, quote, let it rip, unquote, was right near the end of his ministry when after for three and a half years he had been working with and trying to get them to understand things, he finally said, look, you guys are hypocrites. You guys are hypocrites because you say one thing and you do another. And he was specific and he was dynamic. He didn't just sort of let it rip. It was a very controlled, clear explanation of where they had gone wrong. So how can we change, right? That's the question. Right. How do we change? What do we do to get out of that? Well, Rick, realize that all of the most powerful Christian growth comes through conviction. All right. Some of the most powerful Christian growth comes through conviction, but that's not the, the, the end of it. You know, we have to have the principle. We have to have all of those things put together and organized. We have to have conviction with principle. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Rick, these seven gates of right and wrong are so valuable, and they're going to be hard to remember unless you go to ChristianQuestions.com and sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. It'll be on the outline. It'll list them out so you don't forget them and show the value of what we're trying to do in understanding the difference of 
right and wrong. And again, uh, CQ Rewind, the full edition, is a free service. There's no obligation. If you don't like it, you just click the unsubscribe button and nobody will ever bother you again. So give it a shot. Give it a try. See if it uh, if it's a help in terms of putting things together in an understandable way. So Jonathan, we've gone through four of the seven and we've got to kind of pick up the pace here. So the, the fifth gate uh, in the seven gates of right and wrong, what are the two entrances? Coddling versus caring. Okay, you know, are we willing to allow the consequences of our actions or our brother's actions to come to fruition, or do we want to coddle them and overprotect? We live in a world, in a society, especially the young folks, the young people in our world right now, and in, our, in, the, in the United States especially, because I, you know, I don't live anyplace else, but you look around and there is a coddling that, that, that is so overprotective, we're, we're doing them a serious injustice by not preparing them to face the realities of life. And that's why you have 30-year-olds plus still living at home. Yep, yep. So and there's a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, and see, it's good to care, but it's not good to coddle. What's the difference? How do you figure out the difference? Well, let's go back to the, um, the moral of the story. Remember the surgery gone wrong? Oh, yes. Okay, let's go back to the moral of that story Remember the last thing she said about that was, you know, there's great danger in feeling like you're on the correct side of things. So let, let's finish up the thought. I'm like, Ed, dude, people die in those mountains. Sorry, I, w- I was um, thinking the wrong story. Back to Ed, okay? Um, I'm going to start that soundbite again. Uh, and so she's talking about the moral of the story of Ed. Now, remember, it was a boring story, right? Like, uh, like, well, we kept going. We probably should have turned around, but we went up. We came down. Everybody was fine. So yep, here, that was it. <laughs> yeah. So boring story. But here's the powerful moral of that story. I'm like Ed, dude. People die in those mountains. They lose their climbing partners. They lose their limbs. They get hypothermia. This is all you've got for me. And Ed got very serious. And he looked at me and he said, a mistake is a mistake whether you pay for it or not. I can't tell you how many times I've thought about those words since that conversation. Incredibly admirable attitude toward being wrong. Most of us cannot recognize acknowledge and learn from our mistakes even when we do pay for them or worse still when other people pay for them and here was a guy who was able to recognize and learn from a mistake that he got away with and that's a powerful story a mistake is a mistake whether you pay for it or not and if we can get that principle into our heads there is a very humbling thing because you might get away with it, but it doesn't mean that you've learned from it. And the greatest power of any mistake, Jonathan, is learning from it. That's the Absolutely. greatest power of it. So Bernard Shaw, good quote on this. George Bernard Shaw, sorry. A life spent making mistakes is not only more honorable, but more useful than a life spent doing nothing. So, you know, I had an uncle when we were young. We were teenagers and, you know, getting into sports and athletics and all of that that he would always be over and always be working with us and coaching us and all these things. And one of his favorite sayings, which made no sense to me at the beginning, but I grew to love and appreciate and adopt, he would always say, make your mistakes 
with the greatest of confidence. And I kept thinking, that's stupid. Why would I do that? But what he was saying is, if you've decided, do it. And then if you're wrong, learn from it. And that's what he was saying. Make your mistakes with the greatest of confidence. Okay, with those thoughts in mind now, coddling versus caring. Let's return to Romans 14. The Apostle Paul now brings us to the practical lesson of truly caring for those with whom we disagree. Now remember, he's telling those on both the right side and the wrong side of the issue. He's telling both of them, you got to change. You've got to adjust. He's not challenging what they believe. He's challenging how they handle what they believe. Romans 14, verses 16 to 19. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who is in the way serves Christ and is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So the kingdom of God is not about what you eat and what you drink and all of that stuff, but it's, it's, it comes through being in your conscience, in your deepest conscience, acceptable to God because you're trying to do what you truly believe is the right thing. And so sometimes, Jonathan, we're off when we try to do the right thing. We try to do the right thing and we end up doing the wrong thing, not because we want to do what's wrong, we want to do what's right, and we really believe we're doing what's right, but we're wrong. And that happens to all of us. And the apostle is saying, okay, when you get to a point where you can be mature enough, learn from that. But until then, good job. And you think, wait a minute, is he really saying that? Yes, he is. Because God judges our heart intent, right. even if we mess up. And, and there's, there's, there's such grace in that, having the intention of your heart. Now, it doesn't mean that you just sit there in the wrong and just allow it to continue. If you, You've got to always open yourself to correcting as Correct. we go. But, you know, God is gracious in, in those things. A couple of great examples of caring as we wrap up this segment. Galatians 6.1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. If someone is messing up in a spirit of gentleness, seek to help them out. Don't beat them down. Don't destroy them. Help them out. Right and wrong red flag here, Jonathan, for coddling versus caring. Human instinct and emotion can easily misguide our caring actions. Because we tend to coddle because we don't want people to feel pain. But folks, sometimes pain is the best way to really care for somebody, to allow them to go through the pain of something. And that brings us to our next uh, example of caring. And Jonathan, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 5, 4 and 5. But what's the context before we read these verses? Well, the Apostle Paul was trying to teach the Corinth um, church that they were making a mistake because a, a brother was doing something immoral. And he was trying to straighten them out so that they understood what, what was truly happening? So they were coddling him. They're, oh, it's okay, it's okay. And the apostle says, no, no, no. He's, he's, he's living in, a, in, a, in, a, in an immoral way that is not acceptable. He's, he's calling himself a Christian. Can't be done. 1 Corinthians 5, 4 to 5. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, 
so that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So he's saying to them, look, do not allow that to continue. So in all of this discussion, we're saying, you know, you can be right and still be, you can be wrong and still be right. But sometimes wrong actions are wrong enough that they require severe consequences. And the apostles saying, don't withhold the severity of those consequences. Don't coddle when you should care. And because he was looking beyond. He was looking for this brother's salvation right. for eternity, not just in the moment of the mistake. And it did help him in the long run. It did. It did. It actually changed his life. How can we change? Truly caring for our brother means we are focused on the growth in Christ. It means we have a smaller concern for their comfort and a larger and primary concern for their future. Okay. So truly caring means our concern for their comfort is smaller, not non-existent, but smaller. And our bigger care is for their future. That's how you truly care and, and you avoid coddling. So, Jonathan, so far, again, what we're seeing is pretty. being wrong is pretty easy. Even when we care, we need to watch out. We do, and it's really important because higher principles prevail. How do we determine if our actions are truly higher principle-driven? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. So, Jonathan, determining the real source of our personal stand on things can be trickier than it might sound. Thus far, we've talked a lot about emotions and comfort and passion and principle. Now, let's focus on what to look for when we're ready to take action and what might make us right or wrong in that action. See, again, the idea of being right, that's great, but how am I handling the rightness of the situation or if I'm wrong, am I trying to stand up for the highest possible principles and being wrong, and I just need to be down the road corrected somehow? Uh, you know, I, I don't know what the source of this quote was, Jonathan, but it's really very good. <laughs> I would agree with you, but then we would both be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. You know, and, 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 <laughs> and again, we get this self-justified um, positioning that we know our stuff and therefore we're right. And oftentimes, as is evidenced in, in Romans chapter 14, there are those who really believed that they knew their stuff, but they were dead wrong in what they believed. But the apostle saw that their conviction was sincere. And because it wasn't such a kind of a sin, if you will, that would put them off the Christian path, he said, just let it be. Let them be convicted. And, you know, by God's grace, maybe they'll figure it out over time. But, you know, God will judge them, not you and not I. So what's the sixth gate of right and wrong? Well, Rick, it's divisive action versus decisive action. All right. The wrong side, obviously, is divisive action. The correct side is decisive action. When we truly feel that we're right, the firm actions we take can reveal the content of our heart. And you said before, God judges the heart. So the action that we take, even if we're right, can give God something to judge us on that's not very pleasant or pleasing. 
So if you remember, uh, Catherine Schultz had talked about uh, assumptions, you know, three assumptions that, that are made when people, you see people being wrong and, you know, they can't figure you out. So first assumption is that they're ignorant. Let's go through the next two assumptions uh, here in this next soundbite. When that doesn't work, when it turns out those people have all the same facts that we do and they still disagree with us, then we move on to a second assumption, which is that they're idiots. <laughs> They have all the right pieces of the puzzle, and they are too moronic to put them together correctly. And when that doesn't work, when it turns out that people who disagree with us have all the same facts we do, and are actually pretty smart, then we move on to a third assumption. They know the truth, and they are deliberately distorting it for their own malevolent purposes. So this is a catastrophe. This attachment to our own rightness keeps us from preventing mistakes when we absolutely need to, and causes us to treat each other terribly. And Jonathan, that, that, you know, she, she made it sound almost funny. Well, you know, we, we look at them like, as idiots, and then we think they have these malevolent purposes, and, and you know, you, you hear the laughing in the background. I've actually had this happen to me, where I was assumed to be ignorant at first, then assumed to be just plain stupid, then assumed to have an evil motivation on something that there was a disagreement on. So I can personally relate to that. And it's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling when, when, when you, you feel like you're being, you're, you're being looked at like that. When in fact, you know, you, you have your conviction and it's not, it's like, look, this is what I believe. You know? (laughs) So we have to be so careful. I, again, divisive action versus decisive action. There's a huge difference. Not a lot of difference in spelling there, but a huge difference in meaning between the two. So back to Romans 14. The Apostle Paul just brought us a lesson on how to truly care for one another, and now he brings the lesson of the results of our caring action. Are we right or are we wrong? Verses, uh, Romans 14, verses 20 and 21. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food, All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. So the Apostle Paul is clearly stating what's right. All things indeed are clean. It doesn't matter if you eat meat that was offered to idols and all of those things because that's the clarity of Christianity. But those things are evil for the man who eats and it makes him feel like he's offending God. And he's recognizing the power of that person's conscience, even though they're wrong. And he's not only recognizing it, he's respecting it as God-honoring. What a powerful way to look at those who might see things differently than we do. What's the right and wrong red flag that we have to be aware of here? Well, Rick, any sense of condescension or competition can make our expression of our spiritually right perspective be a very wrong action. So if we are condescending or being competitive, our scripturally correct perspective can end up being an incredibly wrong action. We can take something so good and so pure and so right and so just and so merciful and tear it apart by the way we present it. So how do I handle it when I'm wrong? You can see that being wrong has a lot of different facets. And even in our rightness, we can be dead wrong as God looks upon us. Um, and, you know, it can make us, Jonathan, more wrong than the person who's actually wrong. 
That's true. In the eyes of God. And, and, and yeah. folks, yeah. that's the thing we have to be careful of. Well-meaning, divisive action corrected in a decisive manner is what we're going to take a look at in the next scripture. So there's well-meaning, divisive action that is corrected decisively. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 7. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth, so that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. So in this verse, there, and we discussed this several weeks ago in a, in a different podcast in a lot of detail, but the Christians are just like other people. We tend to want to gather around a strong leader, and we tend to want to, 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 to create a sense of importance in a sort of a microcosm. And that happened in the early Christian church. This individual, his name was Apollos, was a very brilliant, well-learned Jewish Christian, and he garnered a lot of attention, not because he sought it, but because he was really good at explaining Scripture. And many Christians in the Corinthian area gathered around him and said, well, we're followers of Apollos. And then there were others who say, well, you know, the Apostle Paul was here before him. We're, gonna, we're followers of the Apostle Paul. We don't follow that guy. He's just the Johnny-come-lately. We follow the original guy. And then there was another group that said, well, no, you know, we follow Jesus. You, you guys are all wrong. And so you had this, they're trying to find rightness, but they're creating divisiveness. And the apostle writes this letter and says, stop. Just stop. He says, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? We are just servants of God, so cut it out. All that happened here is I planted, Apollos watered, God gives the increase. Pay attention to following God through Christ and just let us do our jobs. So divisive actions that were meant, meant well, like we want to find the strength in this, in, uh, of the, the leadership and follow it, was corrected decisively by the Apostle Paul, who told them, you're all wrong. Stop it already. So, divisive action versus decisive action. How can we change from that divisiveness that comes so easily and naturally? Well, Rick, step back and see the big picture. I am but a very small cog in the massive and powerful machinery of the body of Christ. Am I working for the body or for my own agenda? And that is such a powerful question. What am I working for? Am I trying to prove my own agenda so I can prove myself right so it can be about me? Or am I trying to contribute to something that's so much bigger than me, I just want to contribute whatever that little bit is that I can contribute? We can be so much better at understanding right and wrong if we can have the humility of being just such a small, tiny, almost insignificant little part here. So divisive action versus decisive action. It's a gate with two entrances. And if we enter the divisive side, which is the natural side to enter, we end up blowing things up. Jonathan, we're down to just a few minutes left in our final gate of the seven gates of right and wrong. What are the two entrances here? Hearsay sources versus honorable sources. Yeah, you froze up there a little bit, brother. It's okay. Uh -oh. That's okay. It's all right. You'll, you'll, hopefully the, the internet will catch up with us. Hearsay sources versus 
honorable sources. Hearsay, the wrong gate. Honorable, the right gate. Great quote here from, uh, well, from Anonymous. What did Anonymous have to say about this? A lot of problems in the world would disappear if we talk to each other instead of talk about each other. Amen to that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any idea how much easier life would be if we talked to the person that we had a problem with rather than talk about the person we have a problem with? Hearsay sources versus honorable sources. Have we truly checked the facts? How do we know that we're basing our thinking on what's honorable and not what is merely hearsay? How do we know? Well, you know what? You can just Google it. Yeah, and, and Google's always always right, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> or, or, or watch the news because the news is always right. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, and folks, again, it, it's not just, it's just not easy to find honorable sources. And even in terms of Christianity and studying scripture and trying to find out what it really means, that's a task. And you don't just take the first opinion that comes your way. Just Googling something isn't going to get you there. Now, it might be a step, but we've got to really be demanding in trying to find right principles so we can have our convictions based on those right principles. Let's go to the um, aftermath of the story of Ed the Mountain Climber. Remember in the last soundbite, it was said that, you know, uh, a mistake is a mistake, whether you pay for it or not. And he really did learn from it. Later on in that same conversation, he told me, you know, ever since that time on K2, when I'm on a mountain, inside me saying, this could be a mistake. I pack up my ego and I pack up my team and I go back down that mountain. This is a lesson I think we could all stand to learn. That in those moments inside us saying, or a voice around us saying, you could be making a mistake to pack up our egos and back down. What a powerful way to put it. I pack up my ego and turn around. And now here's a man who had the lives of several others in his hands, and the lives of several others were based on his decision-making. And all of these people literally trusted their lives to him because he was so good at what he did. And he made a mistake once and got away with it. But the power of this is, The fact that he got away with it did not deter him from learning the powerful lesson and perhaps saving lives of many later on. I pack up my ego when it comes to mind that this could be a mistake and I turn around. So Jonathan, let's finish Romans 14 and we're going to see now the Apostle Paul urging all of those in this I'm right, you're wrong argument to seriously check the foundation of their own individual faith to be sure of its source. Now notice he's not going to say, check the foundation of what the other guy believes. He's saying, look in the mirror. Check the foundation of your own faith. Romans 14, let's do 22 and 23, the last two verses we're going to talk about with that, uh, that scripture. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Okay, 
So happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. So basically what the apostle is saying here is you can be contented in your conviction. If your conviction is really sincere, and I haven't bent my conviction because Jonathan has told me I should do it a different way. That's what he's saying. He's saying you've got to be sure in your own mind and be convicted of that. And Jonathan, the beautiful thing about this is there we can actually change if we allow ourselves to be thoroughly convicted but open to the thinking of others. That can change us over time because it we can. can grow and we can grow into understanding another point of view. Remember the sound bites we heard from that young woman who was part of the Westboro Baptist Church and left the church and understood how what she was so convicted by was thoroughly wrong. That's what this I reminds do. me that of. That was so dramatic. It was. And we can be part of the same kind of experience. So in this hearsay versus honorable sources, what's the right and wrong red flag here? Peer pressure and the heat of the moment can open our spiritually right stand to accepting untruths, half-truths, and exaggerations as credible. So we have to realize that we are subject to all kinds of weirdness in our judgment because of the things that go on around us. And we have to really search for honorable sources on things. Matthew 26, 59. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. That's where we can end up, Jonathan, being totally misdirected like the chief priests and Pharisees were, trying to find false testimony. How can we testimony? How can we change? Be humble enough to be guided by the highest spiritual principles, no matter what the personal consequences might be. All right. Be humble enough to be guided by the highest possible spiritual principles. Doesn't matter what personal consequences are. That's how we can change. That's how our lives can be put back in order. And Philippians 4.8, Finally, beloved, what's true, honorable, just, pure, pleasing, commendable, if there's excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. That's how to battle the battle of right and wrong. And remember, we can be wrong in our rightness and right in our wrongness. Have your attitude in a godly fashion so you can treat right and wrong with respect of others. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We'll be back again next week with another subject. But until then, handling right and wrong is your responsibility. Let's get to work on that. Until next week, think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from you, our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Meanwhile, we look forward to a new podcast next week.